Ephesians chapter 4, the first three chapters, Paul gives us a great foundation. He talks about what it means to become a Christian. He talks about how that impacts us and all of the things that are involved in in what God did when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You come to chapter 4 and basically Paul says, okay, now that we've talked about all that, let's talk about how you need to grow as a Christian. And Paul assumes a whole bunch of things. He assumes the idea that you're going to grow. Um... Growth is a natural process. So Paul says, look, if you're a Christian, you're going to start to mature. You're going to start to grow up. And so he goes through a a whole bunch of things. And one of the things that he talks about is the idea that part of that growth is that when God saved you, God also gifted you. And you don't, many people don't realize this, but when God gave you salvation, God also gave you a gift. He gave you a special place, a special ability, a special burden, a special bent, if you will, to be able to do something in the kingdom of God. And he supernaturally gives at least one gift to every single person who puts their faith and trust in Christ. And we talked about trying to figure out what that gift is for you. And um, we've got an online tool. You can go on, take it. It'll give you some ideas and tell you about some ways to be able to use that. Then um, we talked about the idea of, as a Christian, we're different. We don't do it the way the world does it. And Paul's laid out up till now in chapter 4 this big difference of there's a Gentile way of doing things and there's a Christian way of doing things. That's just a nice way of saying there's the world's way and there's God's way. And so last week we did a springboard into this of Paul talking about the idea of putting off and putting on. And so Paul lays out the foundation and says there are certain things in, in your life you need to put off. And we talked about the importance of the principle of replacement, Matthew chapter 12, that When you take something out of your life, you put something back in. And so Paul lays out this foundation here of putting off and putting on. From here on out, Paul in chapter 4 is going to get into some specifics. And he's going to talk about the way the world does certain things and the way we should do certain things. So we're going to tackle a couple of those each week. So it might take us a little while to get through chapter 4, but um, that's okay. Ephesians chapter 4, here's what he said. This is the first of the put off and put on. And here's what he says. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, or lies, deceit, and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So the first thing Paul says is, one of the things that you need to put off, that the Gentile world does, that, 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 that is the old man, that's the way that we're doing, is we need to start being people of truth. Now. You have to remember this. This group of people at this time were not primarily known as Christians. The world looked at them and called them people of the way. And the reason they were called people of the way is because they believed that Jesus Christ was the only way, the only truth, the only life. Just what he said in John chapter 14. And they preached this and became so known by this that people started calling them people of the way. So when Paul writes to these people and says, you must put off falsehood and speak truth, the first thing that's going to come to their mind is, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth. So truth, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, yeah, truth's a big part of who Jesus was. And so Paul right off says, okay, the first thing you've got to do is you have to stop lying, and here's why. Truth is centered in God. Lies are centered in, on who? Satan. Satan is the father of lies. He's a liar and the father of lies. That's what Satan does. He deceives. 
And so Paul is saying, look, if you as a believer want to grow, one of the things that you need to put off is you need to stop lying. You need to stop being deceived. You need to stop allowing Satan to deceive you, to, to get you to think that this is the way to go and not show you what the real price tag was. Paul says one of the things you have to do is you've got to stop lying. You've got to stop lying to yourself. You've got to stop lying to your spouse. You've got to stop lying at work. You've got to stop lying in your business. You, as a believer, need to put off lying. And look, we don't think it's that big a deal, do we? I mean, come on. You know, we're in a world where we just kind of minimize the lying thing. You know, think about it for a second. Honey, does this look good on me? Yeah. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully. You follow what I'm saying? We, we, we do it so often, we do it without even thinking about it. And this is what Paul says. He says, look, you need to understand that you've got to put off falsehood and you have to speak truthfully to your name. We need to be people of truth. Now, here's what's interesting. Why? Why do you tell the truth? He tells you right here. Why? What does he say at the end of this passage? Well, members of my, here's what he's saying. We're connected. The reason we tell truth is because we're connected. And the analogy that he uses is the body. And here's what's important. It is very important for your body to communicate truthfully to itself. Okay? Think about this for a minute. If you touch a hot stove, you want the nerves in your finger to communicate truthfully to your brain to say, get your hand off that. What happens... When your body can't communicate truthfully to itself, you end up getting hurt. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, the reason we are truthful with each other, the reason that we do that is so that we can communicate with each other effectively. Because if we can't communicate effectively with each other, if we lie, if we deceive, if we don't tell the truth, then what happens is we start hurting one another. Even though we may, that's why Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We have to be really careful here. Because if we're genuinely going to help each other, we have to be truthful. So Paul lays this out. He says, look, you're connected. And this is what we don't get. So what do we have? We have people who in their marriages are not truthful with each other. So we got guys going, you know, I'll buy that. I'll just I'll make sure she doesn't know about that, and I'll kind of put that over in here. We got gals going, yeah, I really needed that pair of shoes, but I don't want him to know how much I spent on that pair of shoes. Let's get really personal. I don't want him to know how much I spent on quilting stuff. No, no, no. I'm not, no, no. No names. Or our guys, I don't want her to know how much I spent on those tools. Or that gun. You're like, oh, you're meddling now, man. Oh, man. No, this is what he said. But what happened? When you start to deceive each other, when you start to do that, and then they find out that it, it affects trust, and then it starts to deteriorate, and it starts to hurt the relationship. This is what Paul's talking about. 
He's saying, don't let Satan deceive you into thinking that, 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 that falsehood, that, that that comes out well. He said, look, put off falsehood. Speak truthfully for your neighbor. For your members, you're all connected together. And in your relationships, kids, listen to me. You may not think it's a big deal to lie to mom and dad. Oh, I'm going to be over at so-and-so. Let me tell you something. I've watched that come out really badly before. Let me just really send you on a guilt trip, kids. Okay? Let's just say, for example, you tell your folks you're somewhere. Something tragic happens in your family and your parents need to get a hold of you. But they don't think it's the kind of information they want to share on the phone, so they're going to show up to tell you personally, face-to-face, that you're not there. And they can't find you. And then when they do find out, find you, it was too late to get the information to you. You live with that for the rest of your life. It's just a little thing. No, it's a big thing. Turn a big thing really quick. David's little lies, three little lies to Ahimelech, wiped out an entire town. Killed animals, everybody. Wiped out. Why? Because David had three little lies. Just no big deal. Hey, Saul sent me on a secret mission. I'm hungry. You got a sword? Eighty-five priests lost their life because David little lies. I, I challenge you, put off falsehood and put on truth. Then, and here's what's amazing, Paul now jumps to a second issue, because again, he's going to hit these pretty quick, but this issue is really tied to this issue. And here's what he says next. Notice what he goes on to say. In your anger, do not sin. Now, I've got down there Psalm 4.4, because the beginning of Psalm 4.4 says this, tremble and do not sin. It's the same idea. What's interesting is Psalm 4.4, is written by David, and it's written by David because people are lying about him. And he's scared. And, people, and, Paul, and David says, look, I have to be careful that I don't react to their lies and sin and, and, and get angry. And Paul here, in verse 26, says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So not only does he talk about telling truth, Put off lies, put on truth. But he talks about not putting on or putting away anger. Now, let me listen to the whole thing. Don't just pull the one thing out of my already said. Paul says what? In your anger. Paul assumes anger is part of Christian growth. You get that? Because I'm going to explain, I'm, I'm going to suggest to you this morning, when God created you, God created you to be angry. And God expects you to be angry about certain things. You see, we're made in the character and nature of God. And you know what? There are some things that God gets angry about. And there are some things you and I should get angry about. If you look at the life of Jesus Christ, you see Jesus Christ getting angry, don't you? Think about some of the situations where Jesus gets angry. Okay? Um, anyone come to mind? Okay, you got to, everybody at once, that's overwhelming. Um, what now? Give me one. Huh? What? Um, the fig tree, the cursing of the fig tree. Why does he get angry? 
supposed to be producing fruit, supposed to be growing. It wasn't. Give me another one. What's that? The temple. He comes in, and everybody, read that passage really carefully. You get the idea that Jesus comes in, sees the money changers, and throws over the temple. No, Jesus comes in, sees the money changers, goes home, comes back the next day, and then he throws over the temple. Why? He wanted to make a statement. Because why? He's angry because they're taking his father's house and making it a place where they were taking advantage of people and they were making it about money. Another one. Jesus is uh, with uh, the little children, keeps pressing around him, and the disciples start pulling him aside, going, oh, I'm sorry, you can't. You know, Jesus doesn't have time for you, and Jesus will time out. Uh, 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 uh. No, don't you dare do that. You know, don't you dare do that. Jesus wants to heal a man on the Sabbath day, the lame guy in uh, his hand, and, 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 and he gets angry at the Pharisees because they didn't want him to do good on the Sabbath day. You find Jesus getting angry at the tomb of Lazarus. Why? Because you see the effects of sin on people and he gets angry because it's like, you know, he weeps. He weeps over it. When they beat him, he doesn't get angry. When they mock him, he doesn't get angry. See, here's what you find about the life of Jesus. When Jesus gets angry, he's angry at the, at, at the effects of something on someone else. If it's about him, he doesn't get angry. If it's a personal attack towards him, you don't see him get angry. But, on the other hand, you see him, and by the way, you don't see him stay angry, do you? Okay? Because here's the thing. Notice what it says. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, there are people who take this passage literally. Okay? I don't take this passage literally. Okay? I mean, my wife and I have had trips where we come at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, and we get into some fight over some stupid little thing. I'm not going to sit up and go, we're not going to bed till we resolve this. You know, wake up. Um, no, okay. And there, but we have done this. I've said, look, let's, do two, let's agree on two things right now. Number one, we love each other. And number two, we'll, we'll get this thing figured out tomorrow. And we agree on that, get up in the morning, realize, okay, it was a really dumb thing. And, you know, I was right, she was wrong. And, you know, I mean, you know, but I mean, we get it all figured out and and it's resolved. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about anger. Anger has a time. Anger has a shelf life. Okay. And that shelf life, I think, is 24 hours. You start being angry at something longer than 24 hours then you need to think about seriously about, okay, this is way past what it should be. I think of anger this way. I think of anger as the starter to a car. Or for those of you who are old school motorcycle people, remember when you had to kickstart a motorcycle? Okay. You know, you get on a motorcycle and you had to kickstart it. You get into your car and what do you do? You turn the ignition or if you've got one of them fancy ones, you push a button. Okay. Um, and what does it do? It engages a starter. Okay. Why? What does that starter do? It provides enough power, enough torque to get that engine moving so that the engine can start running. What would you happen if on your way home today, every five minutes, you kick that starter on as you're driving down the road? Some of you are like, I don't know. I'm going to find out. No, don't. <laughs> what happens if you've got a motorcycle running, you put out that you kick start it as it's running? Why? It, you're going to hurt the engine. Why? Because it was not designed to do that. It was designed to give you that boost to get it going, and then it's done. And some of you, your anger is like that for you. 
you keep getting angry, and it's like it's, it's no different than driving your car home and every five minutes trying to start it again. And it's wrecking your life. It's not helping you. Because it was never designed to do, have a long-term shelf life thing about it. And Paul says, here, look, put it up. Because if you, kept, if you let that keep going in your life, you're going to give Satan a foundation to start building all kinds of junk on. Paul said, get rid of it. You go, oh, no, pastor, you don't understand. I can't control my anger. Yes, you can. We don't have to prove it to you. You're in a knockdown, drag out, yelling, screaming, fight with your wife or husband. I can't believe you did it. And the phone rings. Thomas says, oh, yeah, my wife and I are just having a discussion. Or somebody shows up, some kid walks in a room, or somebody walks by, and all of a sudden, that everybody, you can control it. Don't tell me you can't control it. You can't. And, Satan, and, and Paul says, look, if you're not careful, you're going to give Satan a foothold. You let that anger keep going, you, get rid of it. Yes, make sure it's righteous and holy. There's some things you should get angry at, but even then, it's a Kickstarter to get you motivated to go do something. And life Christ, he goes over, flips over tables, now he's got everybody's attention. He goes, okay, now let me tell you why I did that. You know, he gets angry with the disciples. You go, well, okay, now that I have your attention, let me tell you something about these old children. He all of a sudden gets angry with the Pharisees. Now he's got their attention. He goes, let me ask you a question then. Is it right on the Sabbath to do well and heal a man? Isn't that what the Sabbath is all about? It's about God at work? Now that he gets their attention, kickstarts the conversation, you don't find him running around. But here's what bothers me a little bit as Christians sometimes. We just walk around like a bunch of angry people. Let anger, fine, be a motivator to go do something, but then let it do its job and move on. And if it's about you, by the way, it should tell you that it's not the right thing to be angry at. So with that in mind, a couple of, um, couple of, of deals here to think about. Here's the first thing. We need to be people of truth. We really do. We need to be considerate. We need to be kind, we need to be loving, but we need to be truthful. Some of you are in businesses where, here's the bottom line, you would make more money if you cut corners like everybody else, but it means you would have to not be truthful. You could pad the bill if you wanted to. My dad was an executive for Texaco. Um, my dad learned a couple things about business. One of the things he learned about business is... Um, when people drink, they get stupid in their discussions. So he learned that uh, actually it was good business sense to not drink with them. But he would go because it was a deal where it's like, okay, we're going to have a cocktail hour beforehand and da 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 And that's when you could find out all the stuff that you needed to find out to make good business decisions. And so it was, it was that kind of world. They actually called my dad in. And they said, look, here's a problem. You're making everybody in the office look bad. Because when they turn in their reimbursements, you know, they've got $100, $150 of alcohol charged on there. And it's like, you're making everybody look bad. You need to either pad your expense account. This is bosses we're telling them. It. You need to pad your expense account? Or you need to start buying drinks for everybody? You need to do something so that the, the, the office here doesn't look bad. My dad, well, I'm not going to do that. That's not right. So my dad came up with a great compromise. He decided he's going to eat nicer. 
so he would go out and he had some of the nicest meals in, in, you know he's like you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do his and still his account was lower than everybody else but he just said i'm not gonna do business that way that's not who i am that's not what i do not as a christian we, we've got to learn to be truthful with each other um i buy shirts twice a year <clears throat> um and i usually do them at the van Heusen outlet and the Winter, I buy short sleeve shirts, and in the summer, I buy long sleeve shirts because that's when they're on sale. Okay, and I just like Van Heusen shirts and da 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 da. And for years, when I was funny, go, I would pick out what I like, and my wife would always go, "Hey, honey, what about this?" Now, I didn't want to hurt my wife's feelings, so I go, "Do you like that? Yeah, I really like this. I think this would look really, really nice." Okay, yeah, sure, throw it in the pile. And then we get home. And I'd never wear it. And it would get moved to my closet from here to there to there to there to there. Because well, I didn't want her feeling. I didn't want, you know, she liked it. She can like it in the closet because I'm not wearing it. Um, so this past year, what happened is my wife, she had two shirts. And this was one of them. This ain't my style. I think it looks like a pajama top. Okay? <laughs> this ain't my style. However... My wife said, what do you think of these two? And I said, definitely not that one, because the other one was worse than this. Um, <clears throat> so she, she, I, I said, the other one, maybe, maybe. She looked at me, and lovingly, like my wife, because she has a little more style sense than I do, said, honey, don't tell me what I want to hear. If you will not wear it, tell me you will not wear it. And I said, I might wear that one. Will you wear this? And I said, yes, I will. And so then when she, on Sunday, she dresses me, okay, because she has all my, all, my, all my suits and pants that match in the closet in order, okay? You go, you can't dress yourself? I can. But she gets embarrassed. So, <laughs> so she decided that's what she's going to do. She's going to help me out. That's what she does. That's, her contribution to Sunday every Sunday. So, anyway, so when, when this shirt comes up in the repertoire, I'm like, Ugh. but here's the thing. This is the second time I've worn it. I'm kind of getting used to the pajama top thing. And I kind of, this morning, I actually looked at it and go, you know, I don't think it looks that bad. Um, but it took us being honest with each other to go, you know what? And, and when she looked at me and said, it made sense. When she looked at me and finally said, if you won't wear it, then I'm not going to buy it. Let's not buy it. And I was like, you know what? She's right. It's little things like that in learning to be honest. Um, and I think that's what we have to do. We have to be honest in our relationships and honest with our kids and honest with people about stuff. We've got to put off the line thing. Second thing, you can't function as a Christian as an island to yourself. You're connected to everybody else. You know, you think you can do your own thing. You can't do your own thing without it impacting the people who are connected to you. That's what David learns in the story of Ahimelech. And, and the story is this. David's running from Saul. He goes to Ahimelech. Ahimelech says, hey, where is everybody? And David's like, oh, I'm on a secret mission from Saul. And Ahimelech's the priest. And Ahimelech looks at him and goes, well, okay. And they go, hey, I, I had to run out of the palace so fast on this secret mission, I didn't get a chance to eat. You got anything to eat? And Ahimelech's like, okay. Yeah, I got some bread. I mean, it's a priest bread, but okay. 
And they say, hey, by the way, I ran out so fast I didn't get to grab my weapon on the way out. You got a sword. And he said, We're the, this is the temple place. We don't have swords here. The only sword we've got is Goliath's sword. Great, I'll take that. So David walks away with the sword and the bread and then keeps running from Saul. Doeg, the chief shepherd, one of the chief shepherds of Saul, watches this whole thing, goes to Saul and says, hey, the priests are helping David. Calls in the priest. Amalek goes, David's your guy. He was on a mission from you. That's what he told us. And he went, no, 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 you're siding against me. You're on David's side. Saul looks at his guard and says, I want you to kill all of of Ahimelech and his family right now. Saul's own army went back and looked, look, Saul, we'll kill women and children for you. We'll do all kinds of things in battle for you. We are not going to wipe out the priests of the Lord. So he looks at Doeg, he says, or Doeg volunteers. He goes, I'll do it. The Bible says at that day, 85 priests of the Lord died. Then Saul looked at Doeg and said, okay, that's not enough. I want you to go to Nob. I want you to wipe out every every woman, every man, every child, every infant, all the cattle, all the sheep. I want you to wipe the place off the face of the earth. All because David lied. And Doeg goes in and does that. One person escapes. They run to David, and David goes, it's my fault. And for the rest of his life, David lived. David's life went on fine. But for the rest of his life, every time David heard about Nob, He was brokenhearted because he caused that, because of his lies. You can't lie without impacting other people. Your lies to your spouse, your lies to your kids, your lies to your boss, your lies in your business, they have impact. And you may get along fine, but you don't know the impact of your life. That's why we've got to learn to be people of truth. We are connected one to another, so we have to be honest with each other. The other thing is, I think we have to be honest about ourselves before the Lord too one of the things that was a struggle for me this week is um, one, of the, one of the commentaries I was reading he talked about the idea he said you know he said your anger really what you get angry about really reveals your character and normally I, I, I kind of start putting the message together like on Thursday and Friday I start putting a nice little framework around I do the reading ahead of time and then Thursday, Friday, I start putting it all together. Well, this week was a busy week, so I started doing it on Monday and Tuesday. That was a really bad idea. Because one of the things that I read said, um, if you're the type of person that gets angry when somebody's driving slow in front of you, you have to be honest because your anger is telling you something about yourself. That that's what makes you angry. And it's telling you that you lack patience. And I'm going, well, that might be good for you because you wrote that. But I just get angry because people are slow drivers. Friday, I'm, uh, my wife's decided that the front door needed to be replaced. And while I had the front door, I was going to have to spray it so that with, with paint. And it was like, well, at that time, let's go ahead and spray the shutters so the shutters match the doors. And so... I get this all set up in my shop to spray all this stuff. End up, get the quarter paint, get the hardener, put the hardener in there. I used old hardener. It turned into goop. And I thought, okay, I still got half a can. That might be enough. I get halfway through this project, and I'm running out of paint. 
So I do the math, and I'm like, okay, 40 minutes. I can get back and forth to Sioux City. It won't get, the, the paint in the sprayer won't get hard for two hours, so i got enough time. So I drive carefully to Baumgars. I get to Baumgars. I get to Baumgars. I run into the store. I grab the paint. I get in line, and I'm telling you, people in the nursing home move faster than the guy in front of me. And this guy couldn't find the card. And then he didn't know how to put it in the reader. And I mean, he was only like 10 years older than I am. So it's not like he was, he was, he was super old. I mean, he was just like, you know. Uh, and I'm thinking, come on, guy. You know? And then, and, and even the cashier's frustrated. I mean, even the cashier's frustrated because she's like, come on, buddy. You know, now you sign it. Okay, now you take your card out. I'm thinking, oh, good. She finally bags it all. And then he stands in front of the little reader thing. So she rings mine up, and I'm standing behind him, and he's standing in the reader thing. He's just kind of poking around. And I'm going, oh, dear God, please. i got paint that's drying. i got to get home, you know. And so finally, he slides a little bit out of the way, and I jam the cart in there. Get the cart in there. I get in the car, and I'm driving, and I get on old 141, and there are only two cars in front of me. The one car has something against 50 miles an hour. And it's like, it was like if their car got to 50, it was going to blow up. So they're driving at 50, they're driving below 50, 45 miles an hour. And I'm going, oh, dear God, don't you care about me? <laughs> so we're driving, I'm thinking, okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I mean, this is crazy, but this is, I'm getting as real as I can get here. I'm saying, God, please. Help them turn to Sergeant Bluff. And I'm thinking, maybe the guy the car behind him will pass. No, 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 the car behind him won't pass. And I'm like, oh, no. And I don't want to pass two cars on old 141. That just gets a little sketchy even for me. So, so we're, we're driving. We're getting, we're, and I'm saying, please, please, please. I see no turn signal. Because these are the kind of people that will use turn signals. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, please, please. And they don't turn. And then I'm thinking, oh, dear God, please let them go to Bronson. Please let them go to Bronson. And they get to Bronson, turn off, and they go straight. And I'm like, oh, God, why are you doing this to me? Please, i got to get home. So I'm praying at Deer Run Trail is my next turn. And so I'm saying, God, please don't let them turn down Deer Run Trail because that's got hills and curves, and they're really going to go slow there. And we get to Deer Run Trail, and God answers my prayer, and they go straight. So I turn left, but the van in front of me turns left. And they went a little faster, but not much. And then, huh? Well, I, I couldn't. It was, they, I know. I've done that before. I couldn't do that even. I pull in the driveway, and it's like God went, yeah, you really think you got the patient's thing down? I got it all sprayed. Everything worked out fine. But it's like, you know, it was like one of these things where I'm like, okay, Lord, out of all the things on this planet, I got upset because things weren't going fast enough for me. Maybe I do lack patience. <laughs> we don't need amens from the family. I don't need you to confirm anything. Um, but I mean, it really, it's one of those deals where I just start, you know, and it's kind of like, it's kind of like guys going, you really think you ought to slow down a little bit? And I'm sitting there going, you know what? Maybe my anger is telling me a little more about me that I'm really comfortable with. 
But the reality of it is, if I'm going to do what this passage says, I can't allow Satan to continue to deceive me to say, look, you, you got this patient thing under control. I have to be truthful with myself. I have to be truthful before God and go, okay, God, you know, maybe this is something. Now, this is a dangerous prayer to say, Lord, teach me patience. Because I know what comes with that. So my, my prayer is, Lord, just help me to be aware of it right now. <laughs> I'm going to be more sensitive to it. Um, because I've got to be honest with myself. I mean, you know, honestly, in the world, of, in, in the things that are going on in the world, Really? Because somebody was going under the speed limit, you have a problem? You know? Because somebody was taking longer in a line? Because they're not as fast as you? You know? They're not as comfortable with technology as you are? I mean, really? That's what's going to get your blood pressure up this week? That's the thing that's going to get you going? Uh, Really? And sometimes I think we kid ourselves. And I, I think this is a great reminder. Look, get rid of, stop lying to yourself, stop lying to other people, stop lying before God, just be honest. And take a look at what makes you angry and ask yourself, are you, do you get angry about the right things or the wrong things? And step back and change what you need to change. When I was about 17 years old, we were living in Chicago, my dad, I'll never forget, it was back where we kind of like some of you, we lived like 30 minutes from church, so the one time we were all in the same car was when we would go to church, and so we'd drive to church together, and then we'd drive home, and, and a lot of times on church, you know, we'd talk about what was said, or youth group, or whatever else, we talked about whatever we heard, and I'll never forget one day, we were driving home, my dad said, uh, kids, he said, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you, he said, this morning God really convicted me about my anger, and I want you to know that I'm going to try to get my temper under control. I'm 17 years old, sitting in the back seat, and I'm thinking, yeah, right, and pigs fly. You know, Dad, something's changed. That ain't going to change. 17 years have been the same thing, I, you know, because my dad had a temper, and um, I thought it'll never happen. 78, 79 was a great blizzard of uh, Chicago, and um, it got so bad that the snow was 10, 12, 14 feet high in the area that we lived. And uh, I was driving my sister to school, 1977 Plymouth Aero GT, cool little sports car thing. Um, and in order to see, to make the left-hand turn, it was a left-hand turn on the road, it's 55 mile an hour. In order to see, I had to edge myself out to see around the big snow banks. By the time I could actually see if a car was coming, the front of my little car was actually over the dotted line. I mean, that's how bad it was. And somebody came along and ripped off the whole front end of the car, totaled the car. Um, nobody got hurt. Um, the car was totaled. A uh, police officer came out. Even the officer said, you know, legally, this is probably your fault. But he said, there's no way I can write you a ticket on this. He said, this is, he said nobody could have avoided this. And so he didn't even charge me with the accident with that kind of deal. And again, 17-year-old kid, you'd think, you know, so anyways. But I had to call my dad at work. My dad worked in Oak Brook, had to come over, get me, and I thought, we'll see. My dad showed up, said what happened, told him what happened, showed him the police report. Um, 
He said, okay, let's get you to school. Sister and I got in the car, and I'm thinking, please yell. Please scream. Please. I'll feel so much better. Dropped me off. Ended up replacing the car. Never said anything about it. And I thought, you know what? If my dad at his age, with his background, could do that, then maybe I can change stuff too. I don't know what your deal is. I don't know if it's truth. I don't know if it's anger. I don't know what it is. But what I will say to this, to you is this. You'd be amazed at the impact it has when you go and change something like that. Like I say, we're all connected. And I'm not saying that I didn't, I've never had a temper. But I will say that um, I learned as a teenager that it can change. Because I saw it change with my dad. And I want to challenge you that whatever it is, whether it's the issue of truth, whether it's the issue of anger, that you stop back and be honest with yourself and honest with God and do what you need to do. Because we're going to spend a lot of time in the next couple of weeks talking about what we put off and what we put on. And we put off lying. We put on truth. We put off unrighteous anger. And we put on peace and righteousness. And that which leads to being the kind of people God designed for us to be. So, with that in mind, I end with this. As believers, we stop lying. And we become people of truth. We speak the truth in a loving way. We get angry at the right things. We allow our anger to be a springboard to deal with righteous issues. We're not to be known as a people of anger, but as a people who love righteousness and love God. That's our challenge. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we've done so many of these things for so long, it becomes second nature. But, Lord, we have a new nature. So we need to stop doing some of this stuff and start doing things differently. So we're going to need your help this week. Lord, for those who have a habit of not being truthful, Lord, may this be a week that they turn a corner. For those who struggle with anger, may this be a week, Lord, where they learn what is really at the root of that anger and start making progress to head in a healthy direction. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may the world see Christ in us and may they see a group of people who genuinely do it differently. These things we ask in your name. Amen.